This is Unfiltered, episode 42 for March 20th, 2013. Saddam Hussein must disarm. There's, there's no negotiations. Those ended a long time ago. There's no need for us to try to sit down at a table. There's no discussion to be had. He's got chemical weapons. He needs to get rid of them, all of them. He's got biological weapons. He needs to destroy all of them. No discussion, no debate, no negotiation. The burden of proof is on Saddam Hussein. week's episode of Unfiltered. It's been 10 years since the invasion of Iraq. Now, armed with a new study, the perspective of time, and a revealing documentary of Dick Cheney, we've been given a clear picture of the driving forces behind the war. We'll look back at the individuals, the scandals, and the lies that led the United States into the 2003 invasion of Iraq. Plus, why you should care about the outrageous situation in Cyprus, the good news for Bitcoin investors, details on South Korea's purported cyber attack, your feedback, and much, much more on this week's episode of Unfiltered. Coming to you live as it can be from the Jupiter Broadcasting Studios in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. Welcome to another edition of Unfiltered, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show about news that is unfiltered. Get it? My name is Chase, and joining me every week is the always lovely, handsome, and luscious bearded Chris. Hey there, Mr. Chase. It might be episode 42, and while we don't have the answer to everything in the universe... We do have the answers to some big questions around the Iraq war this week. And what Bitcoin is really all about. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And what's going on in Cyprus, too. That's right. Yeah. Yes. We have a really big show this week. Really Absolutely. excited. I'm, yes. I mean, so this, I just feel like this week is really what the show's all about. I'm not excited about some of the things we have to cover. No. I don't mean to like, you know, put that out there. No, but, no. Well, but you know what? It's one of those things where you have to cover it. Because you have to get the information out there. Right. I'm, I'm excited at the you opportunity for us to unfilter some of the stuff. And, you know, one of the things that's passionate to both of us is because uh, b- before everything else, before everything else, you and I were techs. That's true. We're geeks. We love. Geeks. Yeah. Yeah. Gamers. So I love following the cyber, you know, the cyber attacks and the cyber warfare. ASL. Want a cyber? No, not that kind of cyber. Oh, that, not that kind of cyber? <laughs> you dirty bird. <laughs> What kind of cyber? No, I'm talking about the kind of, you know, like, uh, you know, cyber attack, cyber 9-11. Oh, you mean the nondescript buildings in right, China? Right, no, that, Both, kind of, that kind of the, cyber. Exactly. You know what uh, I'm talking about. Yes, well, I do. did you hear about uh, South Korea getting attacked? What? Yes. BBC. Now, South Korea is currently investigating a suspected cyber attack after the computer networks of several major organizations seem to have become paralyzed. Now, some of the country's biggest broadcasters and the banks are among those who say their networks have been frozen. There's no evidence yet of who or what could be responsible. 
Ooh, no evidence of what or who could be responsible. So you know what the only... So we don't know. The only thing to do is to take the story and stretch it. And so what CNN do? They go ahead and they're just going to get into the tech... They're just, you know what, we don't have any details, so let's do CNN do tech. They have, wait, do they have John King in front of a board? And no. they were like, this, this is how the internet works. This is actually the most low-budget show CNN has. It's a stream show that they call it. Oh, no. And this gal has got nowhere to go with this story, so oh, she decides no. to attempt tech support. Well, some analysts Baseball. say that the total number of internet users in North Korea may not even exceed a thousand people. So what is it like to experience a computer outage that may in fact be a cyber attack? Uh, Luke Cleary, he works at the Korean Broadcasting System. He was among the first to tweet a screen grab of what the outage looked like. All right, so let's pause here. So uh, the Korean Broadcast System, state-run uh, broadcast media, uh, and uh, some defense uh, machines were all infected with a virus, it would appear. Okay. Now, this is being called a hack attack, but from, as far as I can tell, it just looks like malware, and it might have even like caused some machines to like maybe like you know burn their boot sector or something. Right. I don't know. Yeah. And Luke joins me now live from Seoul. Luke, thank you for joining us here on Newstream. And let's go back to around, what, 2 p.m. earlier today. When did you realize that something was wrong? Uh, hi, Christy. Yeah, it was right about 2 o'clock today. Um, I was speaking with one of my coworkers, and I noticed out of the corner of my eye that my computer was shutting down. I went to a blue shutdown screen, and then before I knew it, it was that, that black screen, which I tweeted out earlier today with the uh, boot disk not found, some kind of error message. was. No. So what do you suppose, like as a CNN reporter, your next question is probably like, do you have any indications of who did this or how it got into your computer system? Right? Are you, are you running Windows XP right, or right, uh, right. have you tried? Did, did somebody an open an attachment? Have you tried an unexpected reboot? Do you have do you have do you have malware scanning software? You know anything like that? Did no, someone no. pull the power plug <laughs> on your computer, so, sir? That's more like what you asked. Check it out. It's coming through. Yeah, you got the error message. Were you able to restart your computer at all? <laughs> of course, that was a, the first instinct, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. Turn it off and turn it back on again. Uh, so now, whenever there's a story in the news where you take a cyber threat and it's very yeah. vague and undefined, it just always happens there's some sort of governmental action around cybersecurity happening at the same time. Uh, and, uh, of course, this week it was our uh, Treasury tre Secretary visiting uh, China and bringing up cybersecurity as top on his agenda. Oh, China and the U.S. are presenting a united front despite the tensions between the two. Now, cyber espionage was on the agenda in Beijing as Chinese Premier Li Keqiang met with the U.S. Treasury Secretary Jack Liu. Now, hacking also came up when Liu met China's new president, Xi Jinping. That meeting came on the same day. A Chinese report said that the U.S. was responsible for more than 80% of phishing attacks against it. I just think that's funny. 80% of phishing attacks in China, reportedly, according to these Chinese officials, come from the America. Wait, 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 wait. I, I didn't hear that get much play over here. Well, but not only that, but isn't that a little biased of course. information, just Chris? Like all, I mean, come on. Just like all the crap we hear about them. Of course. Right, that's right. what I'm saying. It's so who, who can we go to to get some completely unbiased information? Uh, maybe the unfiltered show, Chase. Uh, uh, you know where you're not going to be able to go to? No. Uh, is potentially uh, the LA Times and other <laughs> Tribune yep. newspapers. Oh. Are you familiar with the Koch brothers? 
vaguely. All right. Well, they're uh, if if you're if you're far on the left, they're the bit one of the biggest boogeymen you've ever heard of. Okay. And if you're on the right, they are enterprising entrepreneurs who sort of follow a libertarian ethos that invest in the things that they think need they need to invest in to move the country forward. Okay. So you interpret that as you like. Okay. okay. There's somewhere between Rupert Murdoch and and the, the boogeyman of. <laughs> Of, okay. of liberals all, are right. all around the world. All right. Uh, what's scary, though, is and when you think of it in context of how they're both very polarizing politically, Rupert Murdoch and yeah. uh, the Koch brothers, uh, and and they are very involved with the elections with Bush and all these. So they do have a lot of political ties. Now there's rumors floating around they might buy up the Tribune newspapers, sort of like how Rupert Murdoch's bought up a lot of properties. And of course, this has MSNBC freaking out. In the January 2013 Coke Company's Discovery Newsletter, Charles Koch addressed the next steps after November's disappointment, telling employees, as a company, we are committed to doing what is right in every aspect of our business. That's why we will continue to do everything we can to persuade politicians to put what is good for the country first before it is too late. Oh, yes, ladies and gentlemen, it appears that the Koch brothers are not bluffing. And not only are they going all in trying to persuade politicians to adopt their far right vision, they may be raising the stakes in another way. On Tuesday, L.A. Weekly reported that the Koch brothers may bid on the Tribune Company newspaper group. That would include the Los Angeles Times, the Chicago Tribune, the Baltimore Sun, Sun Sentinel South Florida, the Orlando Sentinel, the Hartford Current, the Morning Call and the Daily Press. That's a whole lot of print real estate with editorial pages to spread the Koch political message. Now, while various reports say the Kochs could face tough competition from the likes of Rupert Murdoch, Charles and David are each worth about $34 billion. That's it? All right. So can you guess why I find this story of interest to me personally? Please tell. It is just another sign of the decline of the mainstream media. True or not, it is being bought up by special interest on both sides and on all on one side. Exactly. And when you have everything that's sort of coming under these four great umbrellas of conglomerates, you have to start to worry. Yeah. And I don't think it's just you and I who are just crazy pants who think that. In fact, Chase, I have something to announce. That's wait, right. Wait, where, where those guys come from? Oh, I had them waiting. Uh, we had a uh, we have some good news. Uh, we have a record breaking uh, contributors who signed up to be on Filter supporters for this week's episode. We did the special seven ninety nine for the yeah, last three. week. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we got some great, great response to that. And I honestly believe it's because people out there are genuinely hungry for something that is just completely unbiased. Yep, it's, it's close as we can get it. At least absolutely in our own best yes. Effort. Uh, so, uh, really quickly, Chase, I was thinking maybe, uh, so we had a bunch of people who were like, hey, I know you're doing a sale, but you're right, your show is worth $13. And they con- they decided to instead contribute $13. That is so awesome of them. That is so awesome. Awesome and, of them. I know I kind of met, met And I don't want to get all emotional, but uh, this week's episode was particularly hard because we're about to get into some really heavy stuff. Yeah. Some big stuff. Um, and it was a lot emotionally for me just to, because what, what ends up in the show is the tip of the iceberg of what I, of the avenues I go well, there's, down. There's so much because, you know, yeah, we could do a four hour show. Yes. And we would have no voices and no yeah. lives. Yeah. And I already don't. It is, yeah. it is getting, yeah. it is getting to the point where it's, it's crossing the line. I mean, I, I really, really worked very hard on this week's episode and to see, you know, when I tallied up the number before I was like, wow, I was, I really appreciate the support. It, it, it's it, huge. And I really appreciate it. So I thought maybe I'd read off the 1333s and if you wanted to read off the other guys there, there are seven. All right. Yeah. I want to start uh, this week by thanking uh, David B who contributed that uh, 1333 and the rest did as well. Uh, Walter P, Christopher A, Randall K, 
Dustin S., Juco V., and Matthew C. all contributed uh, $13. And uh, one of those uh, came from, uh, uh, previously came from James. Uh, and uh, he said, I appreciate your special offer and the lower rate subscription, but I jumped on the 1333 one anyways because when I think about it, I can obviously afford it, and I think the show was really valuable. It's hard to reconcile the cost with other mass media supplies, but as you say, when it's very small audience, the economies of scale just don't apply. So I'm subscribing because I support all of your shows. I especially love Unfilter. As for Unfilter, obviously I'm not in the U.S. As much as I would like, I don't think you can really do world news on the show. But slightly more international perspective would be interesting. If you can help uh, clips from, if you need help with clips from the U.K. or access to the media that might be IP blocked, let me know, James. And I just, you know, I wanted to acknowledge a couple of things in James's letter. First of all, I really appreciate. You know, one of the comments I made last week was one of the reasons people have sort of a disillusion when they say $13 seems like a lot a month. And I'm like, well, it's not when you consider the economies of scale because mass media is produced, you know, with this huge advertising that makes it completely, completely biased. Absolutely. And yeah. Distributed to yeah. millions of households. And so the cost is very deferred. We're here. It's, yep. you know, it's very artisan media. And, and so I really appreciate not only James, you know, totally understanding that, but his point to the international stuff, I, I think I'd like to hear, you know, we have some, some stuff going on in uh, Cyprus that I think will speak to kind of what he was interested in. So hopefully James will uh, enjoy that. Uh, Mr. Chase, do you want to do the yeah, 799 well, uh, Yes, 799ers, you guys are awesome as well. We got Jose F., Super Carrot, Luigi. I don't see Mario here, unfortunately. <laughs> Not yet. Uh, Sasha D., Evan, Daniel R., Lee R., James L., Justin E., Mr. D. Ford, Daniel G., and Nicholas S. Now we're at awesome. a, And you know what the best part about this is, Chris? Hmm. I think it was last week or two weeks ago. I was I was I was asking the guys out there and gals, everybody. I w- I wanted to get more supporters than our episode number. Mm-hmm. That was my goal. That was my personal little goal. We're at forty two, and now we're at fifty five. Yeah, that's awesome. So thank you to all fifty five. We had one unsubscriber, but that's understandable. That's going to happen. But really, one's not bad. No, no, that's not bad. Now remind people what kind of great perks people. So get. Uh, and this week especially, we have a fantastic pre-show that includes a bunch of clips that are relevant to this week's episode that it kind of, you know... It's a companion. Yeah, very much so this yes. week. And then plus the post-show where we hang out and kind of relax after the show and chat and hang out with the chat room. And you get that as well as a newsletter after every episode that kind of gives you more behind the scenes and some of my thinking and some of the comments that we might have come up with, you know, right. sort of off-air off that people don't get to hear. That That's true. It's kind of like little anecdotes and stuff that go in a newsletter that comes out every single night. Eventually, we're going to have some test stuff going out in that feed as well. That's right. So, uh... Big thank you to everybody who supports the show. Now, uh, for Bitcoin users, stay tuned. We'll have a little bit of information for you. Uh, but I, you know, I want to put a plea out there. So what we're trying to do is trying to get unfiltered to 133 subscribers. 133. So that way we pay for one day. Now, this week, I spent three days, and I'm not even counting the time I'm spending right now on the show. I just really got into some of the stuff we're going to cover this week. And there's just no way I could ever recover that cost. Uh, but... You know, that's not. I'm not asking to get rich doing this. I'm just asking to cover some of our base costs. Just cover expenses. That's all. So you know, you'll find <laughs> links in the show notes where yeah. you can become a monthly subscriber, and we really appreciate that. So thank you, everyone. Now, Mr. Chase. <laughs> yes, what sir. We play a little ask the chat room. We're gonna do a little quiz game here yeah. on the Unfiltered Show. <laughs> we get to ask the chat room, see if they know a little bit of trivia. <laughs> Let's test the chat room's knowledge. All right. Yeah. All right, chat room. Let's see who can be the first person to tell us what today is the 10th anniversary of. What? Ooh. Not actually today was Monday, I believe. That's right. What was the? What did we celebrate, or maybe Ooh. not celebrate? Okay. The tenth anniversary of this week. All right. 
Now we're there's a little bit of a delay in the stream, right. so okay. we're we're letting for we're letting for Hammy got it first. Well, really, hold on, Chase. Let me roll the dice here. Let's see what we get here. I'm pumping it. I'm pumping it. I'm pumping it. All right, go for it. Hammy said, "Iraq War." Oh, Hammy is right. On uh, I believe it was uh, Monday the 18th. That's right. Ten years Shock ago. And awe. We all were sitting at home and we heard this. My fellow citizens, at this hour, American and coalition forces are in the early stages of military operations to disarm Iraq, to free its people, and to defend the world from grave danger. Wow. Okay. So before we get into that, there's been uh, uh, sort of a lot of new information coming out around the anniversary. First of all, there's a study that I'll have linked in the show notes. Yep. That uh, reveals a bunch of information, including a lot of budget stuff. We're going to get into some of that as we go here. One of the other big pieces of information that a lot of you probably heard about is this new, I don't know if documentary is the right word, but The World According to Dick Cheney. It was a Showtime special. It aired. I got it. I listened to it. I grabbed a few clips that I thought I would share that were relevant to the Iraq War. Um, the overall documentary, I actually do pretty much recommend it. It's it's pretty interesting, first of all, just to see Cheney now and to hear the words from him. But you you also learn a lot more about his failed run for presidency that he actually, he made, a, you know, he tried. Yeah, he did. Which was really interesting. Uh, also, uh, a lot of the stuff around Guantanamo and why they established it. Rumsfeld is included in this uh, documentary, and he answers some of the questions about that, and you hear some of their uh, logic. Uh, you know, uh, you also get a lot of really good perspective in this documentary on the internal struggles of uh, that were caused by the warrantless wiretapping program and how a lot of stuff was actually kept from Bush. It's kind of interesting. I think a lot of people suspected maybe sometimes Bush was getting his strings pulled a little bit. And that was definitely the impression I walked away with this documentary. Wow. I have a link in the show notes. It generates a search on YouTube. There's a bunch of copies of this up on YouTube right now. Okay. So if you're listening to this within, you know, the first couple of days this comes out, you might be able to watch it. But okay. I got a couple of clips um, around this. And you, you, before we get into this, I don't want to lean all of this on Cheney because after watching this documentary, I got a really strong sense that there, is a, there was an amazing Cheney, uh, Cheney and Rumsfeld team. And Donald Rumsfeld and Cheney have been in and out of the White House for 40 years. They were involved from Ford's presidency through, you know, actually at the end of Nixon's presidency uh, through Bush Sr. They took a break while Clinton was office and they came right back in. And so they were in and out for years. Long history. Cheney spent time in Congress and all this kind of stuff. Uh, So, you know, they worked very much in concert together. So they were both very big on pushing for the Iraq war. In fact, uh, here's a few choice clips from Rumsfeld. No terrorist state poses a greater or more immediate threat to the security of our people and the stability of the world than the regime of Saddam Hussein in Iraq. We have what we consider to be credible evidence that al-Qaeda leaders have sought contacts in Iraq who could help them acquire uh, weapons of mass destruction capabilities. Do you have hard evidence that they're in Iraq? Oh, there's no question uh, but that uh, uh, al-Qaeda have have moved through and some have have stayed. And that's not just an assumption. We know that. I know that. If someone is waiting for a so-called smoking gun, it's certain that we will have waited too long. What do you make of the statement made by the Iraqi government, the statement by the Iraqi government uh, yesterday that Iraq has no weapons of mass destruction and is not developing any? They're lying. Next. It is not knowable <laughs> if force will be 
used. But if it is to be used, it could last, you know, six days, six weeks. I doubt six months. So obviously a lot of the people in the cabinet were going out and ch um, championing the war, but uh, Rummy and Dick were were absolutely up in front running. Now, I played Rummy because the rest here were going to focus a lot on Dick, and uh, there is some interesting spots in the documentary where they kind of show how uh, they used a lot of uh, political emergencies to sort of leverage that and sort of pull themselves up to the next the next level. Like, they were... Cheney and Rumsfeld just continually would take advantage of every crisis. Everything from, uh, uh, you know, Watergate to Ford pardoning Nixon, they were able to leverage that into gaining more and more influence. And uh, so this kind of is... There's a little insight with this first clip. Ford, still reeling from his pardon of Nixon, is vulnerable to a primary challenge from Ronald Reagan, the popular and deeply conservative former governor of California. And you don't discipline an irresponsible and wasteful Congress by putting an indulgent friend in the White House. Rumsfeld and Cheney are determined to shore up the Republican base by pushing the moderate president further to the right. We thought the president needed to, to make some changes that he had been... That's Rumsfeld, old Rumsfeld from now. From current, yes. Slow in arriving at. Rumsfeld and I, we wrote Cheney, a lengthy Cheney, memo yeah. to the president that recommended a, a lot of changes. Over the course of three days, Cheney and Rumsfeld engineer what comes to be known as the Halloween Massacre. They knock out the, the core staff of the Ford administration. Henry Kissinger is forced to give up his duties as national security advisor. You've got a guy who's dominant in the Nixon administration and who had survived all of that, but he's running your foreign policy, so you needed to, to mix things up a bit there. So he went down. They as well kneecapped Nelson Rockefeller, you know, the vice president. Rockefeller announces he will not run for election in 1976. Secretary of Defense James Schlesinger is removed from office. Were you fired or did you quit? Well, I have no comment to make. Cheney and Rumsfeld have two more moves to make. Ford names Rumsfeld as the new Secretary of Defense. And at the age of 34, Dick Cheney becomes the youngest White House Chief of Staff in American history. Pretty sophisticated series of chess moves. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. So that gives you kind of how long they've been playing political games and how they've been yep. building power a for a very time. long time. It's interesting, though, because uh, once Clinton comes into office, uh, Dick uh, takes a break from politics and heads up Halliburton. And uh, at the time, Halliburton primarily focused on oil. Uh, but when it came time for Bush Jr. to run, uh, they came knocking on Dick Cheney's door. And at first they said, Dick, will you be my VP? And Dick said, no. Did you know that? No, I did not. So the story goes that Cheney turned down the vice presidency. But he said, you know what I will do? I'm a CEO of Halliburton, super busy, but I'll, I'll work with you to work down the list of potential VP candidates, and I'll help you pick that candidate. Okay? That sounds good, right? Right. So uh, they, in this clip, they go through some of the extents, and of course, we all know what happened. He ends up being the VP, right? This kind of gives you some insight on how this happens. Uh, started with a list of dozens of people all the Republican governors and all the Republican senators and virtually anybody that you could, could conceive of as a prospective candidate, and then we narrowed that down. He began devising 
what everybody involved described as the most comprehensive, most intrusive vetting process ever used. We wanted 10 years of tax returns. We wanted uh, their health records. We wanted to know if they'd ever been involved in any kind of scrape that might be an embarrassment to the president. Since he didn't trust anyone to give all the records, he made them sign waivers and powers of attorney. Hear that? He got power of attorney. Wow. It was a pretty exhaustive proposition. I'm not sure I would have gone through all of that if I'd been asked. Yeah, he didn't go through any of it. He would meet from time to time with Bush, tell him, here's what we found on Lamar Alexander. Here's what we found on Frank Keating. Pretty much every time, you're coming up with something that raises an eyebrow and makes you worry a little bit. During these meetings, Bush describes what he wants from a running mate. He knew what he wanted and what he was looking for, and that was somebody who could be a part of the team to help him govern. I can't tell you for sure when he started seeing a vice president in the mirror, but one of the key things that Cheney did was to tell Bush stories about problems between presidents and vice presidents. And the key feature that he described was a conflict involving the ambition of the number two guy. So one of the things this documentary exposes is how uh, uh, Cheney was able to observe Ford as Nixon's VP and how right. Ford Ford said it was the worst time of his life. Is what he, according to Cheney, was confided. That's what Ford said. And so he remembered watching that, and, and Cheney thought, I never want that to happen to me. So supposedly these were some of the stories he would retell to Bush. He painted a portrait of ambition as sort of latent disloyalty. If you get a guy who wants the job, he's already halfway disqualified. And at the same time, Cheney is telling Bush, no, I don't want it. Uh, and the more he runs away, the more Bush is pursuing it. We got all through. We ended up down in uh, Texas. We evaluated everybody. We reviewed all the candidates. He looked up at me and said, you're the solution to my problem. The reason I finally said yes was because I was convinced he was deadly serious about it being a consequential position. I um, took him seriously in terms of the reasons why he said I was the guy he wanted, my background in and, and national security and defense. You know, there was no piece of paper at all, but that he'd make certain that I played a significant role in his administration. Cheney did not submit himself to the vetting. He did not produce business records from Halliburton. He gave a substantial financial uh, set of documents for vetting, and he gave them to George Bush, and George Bush only. He didn't give him any health records. He didn't give him anything like the, that. Didn't have to do any of the vetting. Talk about shady. Right, with his ties to Halliburton. Totally shady. So what's amazing, what is absolutely amazing, and has never happened in the history of the United States of America, is, so after the election, the 2000 election, remember it was contested, it wasn't, people weren't sure. Well, yeah, Florida. Right. Hello. So even before the votes were recounted or anything like that, Cheney started the transition team. He headed it up, and he stalked the entire cabinet. Bush didn't make selections. Cheney made all of the appointments, all of the selections. And according to this documentary, he didn't just do it like at the top levels. He did it two, three layers down of people he knew and trusted. There's quotes in here of people saying, you know, I had a lot of the characteristics that, uh, that uh, Dick always wanted, like, uh, you know, discretion. Literally, that quote's wow. in there. And, and what it was is this guy at this point coming in there, he's got 25, 30 years of experience in industry and experience in government. And he, through Congress and through you know his time in the White House, has built this entire network of cronies 
for, at multiple levels of management that he installs into the Bush White House. And Bush, at the time, thinks this is actually a good thing because he's very unconfident about his foreign policy. And Cheney's, because Cheney spent time on the Intelligence Committee when he when he was in the House, I mean, he's got, like, supposedly some good pedigree in this area. Right, he set so it up. He right. was happy to defer yep. to Rumsfeld and Cheney yep. when it came to this stuff. So as time moved on, and after 9-11 happened, and the... War machine started to beat the drum to going into Iraq. You had Cheney and Rummy out there just really pushing things. They never really had a meeting about whether they should attack Iraq. There was kind of an incorporated assumption. You know, the, the evidence is overwhelming. And you know, he kept getting out there on Meet the Press and other venues, but it was all innuendo. Who did the anthrax attack last fall, Tim? We don't know. Could it have been Saddam? I, 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 I don't know. You know, they've traced that anthrax. Where did it come back to? So I guess every anthrax strand is kind of unique. Oh. And it went back to a federal laboratory. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know. Who can say? Who can say? As we don't says. know. Yeah. I really think there was a momentum to war. Cheney is saying we've got to do it. Uh, it uh, the intelligence is there. He had the personnel. He had the technology. He had the know-how. He had a lot of the raw material. And he had the desire to get back into the business big time. He said we have a lot of allies out there, but I haven't noticed any of the Arab states supporting strong action against Iraq. Well, I think, uh, I guess the way I would characterize it is that they are uniformly concerned about the situation in Iraq. Bush is insecure as president. Cheney brilliantly exploits this. Cheney points to Iraq's refusal to submit to weapons inspections as clear proof that Saddam Hussein is hiding weapons of mass destruction. But there is another explanation. What Saddam is worried about... You have an idea? Why wouldn't Saddam let the UN weapons inspectors in? What do you suppose the real reason might have been? They don't have a search warrant, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) That his neighbors, and he's got tough neighbors, including the Iranians, will find out that that he's a paper tiger. He doesn't have it. There's nothing here. Cheney was cherry-picking intelligence, interpreting intelligence, taking, you know, this piece and that piece. He has been seeking to acquire the kinds of tubes that... This is on Meet the Press. ...are necessary to build a centrifuge. Colin Powell thought Cheney had a fever for attacking Iraq. Powell concluded Cheney could not... was always twisting intelligence and exaggerating it. So this was a big part of it. In fact, this was a huge issue the intelligence community had, even at the time, was they felt like there could be some reasons to go into Iraq, but you're pinning all of this on WMDs, and we don't feel like that can be justified. Well, we don't have any hardcore substantial right. evidence. In fact, a CIA, CIA analyst who worked on this whole thing with Cheney and Scooter Libby during all of this has come out now and said that we were pressured. That, yeah, well, here, I'll let, her, I'll let her explain. Yeah. Joining me now is that former CIA analyst, Nada Bakos. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me. Uh, you, you, you published this article today describing what it was like working in the CIA at that time and all the pressure you were under uh, from the vice president's office. I wanted to show you uh, this clip uh, that you mentioned uh, from uh, Meet the Press back then. You mentioned this in your article. I just want let's look at it again. We know he's out trying once again to produce nuclear weapons, and we know that he has a long-standing relationship with various terrorist groups, including the Al-Qaeda organization. 
in your article about this, you say you were truly shocked when you heard him say that. Tell us about that. So we'd already written an assessment talking about the relationship between Iraq and al-Qaeda, and we found that there was no substantial connection. Um, so how it plays out in press and, and the statements made by the administration at the time, I think, gave the impression that there possibly was and that the intelligence backed that up. And that was my, my concern at the time, is that the American public would walk away from that thinking they're actually... Now, this gal worked, she was a CIA, she actually briefed Cheney, she actually served in Iraq. I mean, this gal's legit. It was yeah, a connection. She's got info. Now, you and, and your team... actually found that. You and your team were under such pressure from the vice president and Scooter Libby that you actually uh, ran mock meetings with them in your office where some of you played Dick Cheney and, and someone else played Scooter Libby grilling your team. Uh, it just didn't, that you went through exercises like that just in preparation of having meetings with them. Now, here's she's about to say this very politically, but the way I interpret this as they would come in, Scooter and Cheney, and uh, they would sit down and say, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? Trying to get them to say, that's a possibility. That's a possibility. And so they would rehearse so that way they could give the best answer possible. Now, I'll play it out and then see if you agree with my assessment, okay? All right. right. Well, I, had, um, I worked with an amazing, amazingly dedica dedicated team. I had a branch chief who understood the questions that the administration was probably going to ask. So we did a mock um, briefing just to prepare us in case um, the questions were, would arise that, you know, would lead us down a rabbit hole. You know, you can have a lot of hypotheses that you go over and over and over again and eventually moving away from the objective truth as we knew it at the time. So she wanted to make sure we were prepared for those answers and felt um, solid in our in the basis of our intelligence is that you objective truth so do you agree with me like basically what she's saying is they would come in and try to move the steer the conversation into yeah it, it's a matter of whatever the question is you you're, you're taking that response it's, it's basic debate etiquette in a way yeah you're and it's, trying to win your side and it's 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 weird too to have to like prep for them to come down and uh so despite you know this basically the intelligence at the time saying ah we're not so sure. Cheney goes out and he builds the case to go to Iraq. And this was uh, this was this was at a well. Uh, I believe this was at a uh, a veterans breakfast. And I mean, he really just lays it on. Our administration is moving forward on an agenda to build a safe and prosperous future for the American people. In August of 2002, Cheney addresses the national convention of the veterans of foreign wars. He presents his most forceful case yet for war against Iraq. Armed with an arsenal of these weapons of terror and seated atop 10% of the world's oil reserves, Saddam Hussein could then be expected to seek domination of the entire Middle East, take control of a great portion of the world's energy supplies, and subject the United States or any other nation to nuclear blackmail. Simply stated, there is no doubt that Saddam Hussein now has weapons of mass destruction. No doubt. There is no doubt that he is amassing them to use against our friends, against our allies, and against us. There is no basis to discount any of the concerns that I'm raising this morning. No basis. None. Uh, so the documentary goes on to talk about how Holy there were a few key members of uh, you know the Senate or the Congress or whatever the, whoever it was at the time they needed to influence. When they couldn't get them to budge, Cheney would pull that person to a private meeting and basically lie to them 
Just straight out paint, paint. Yeah, it's in the documentary. You guys can go check it out if wow. you want. But what really bothers me is during this whole documentary, you never really get any sense that Cheney maybe would redo a few things. Like, <clears throat> you know, like maybe like if he, you know, had a little introspection or something like that. You too, never, much, too much pride, I think, is what's in play here. What it in is. the aftermath of the invasion, Iraq is under military occupation. Governing it is the responsibility of the Defense Department. Two weeks after the administration declares victory, 50,000 members of Saddam Hussein's Ba'ath Party are fired from their jobs with Rumsfeld's approval. Most are low-level civil servants who had nothing to do with Saddam's atrocities. So they've laid off a ton of bureaucrats, and they also, you know, shut down the army. Yep. So all of a sudden you have bureaucrats with nothing to do, and you have an army with, co- nothing. <laughs> with nothing to do. So of course they're going to get together, and they're going to form a resistance. I mean, that just seems so obvious in retrospect. But listen to the way Cheney sort of just sort of at a very 50,000 feet level assesses the situation. Almost, and, almost godlike. Without them, Iraq has no functioning government. We expected that once you took away that top layer of leadership, uh, that the professional bureaucracy underneath could carry on. Uh, that didn't happen. All right. So you take away that top layer, the professional bureaucracy that's there that's there year after year, would just continue on is what they thought, right? And you hear that this is from that documentary. He just said that. This is recent. Now, what's interesting about that, Chase, what's really funny about that is if you go back to 1994, Dick Cheney had a completely different opinion. Do you oh, really? think that the U.S. or U.N. Force- so, by the way, he was Secretary of Defense for Bush Sr., and they had a little, remember, they had a little scuffle with yes, Iraq? that's right. And so then at that desert time- Desert Storm, Desert Shield. Right. The question was, why didn't you go further? So that's what this guy's asking. Why didn't you push further? Why didn't you continue? So should have moved into Baghdad? No. Why not? Because if we'd gone to Baghdad, we would have been all alone. There wouldn't have been anybody else with us. It would have been a U.S. occupation of Iraq. None of the Arab forces that were willing to fight with us in Kuwait were willing to invade Iraq. Uh, once you got to Iraq and took it over and took down Saddam Hussein's government, then what are you going to put in its place? That's a very volatile part of the world, and, and if you take down the central government in Iraq, you can easily end up seeing pieces of Iraq fly off. Uh, part of it, uh, the Syrians would like to have to the west. Uh, part of eastern Iraq, uh, the Iranians would like to claim, fought over for eight years. Uh, in the north, you've got the Kurds, and if the Kurds spin loose and join with the Kurds in Turkey, then you threaten the territorial integrity of Turkey. It's a, it's a quagmire if you go that far and try to take over Iraq. It's a quagmire. casualties. Uh, everyone was impressed with the fact that uh, we were able to do our job with as few casualties as we had. But for the 146 Americans killed in action and for their families, it wasn't a cheap war. And the question for the president in terms of whether or not we went on to Baghdad and took additional casualties in an effort to get Saddam Hussein was how many additional dead Americans is Saddam worth? And our judgment was uh, not very many, and I think we got it right. I agree with Epoch in the chat room. In other words, at the time, they didn't have the political infrastructure in place. The second time around, Cheney got it right. He put all his boys in place. He had, and this documentary doesn't even get into all of the efforts that uh, that Cheney and Rummy put into privatizing different aspects of the military, for better or for worse. It doesn't even get into that, how he's sort of positioned to earn revenue from this in the private industry. I'm just trying to... That just goes to show they knew, they knew going into Iraq would be awful. And anything else you hear is complete BS. And all of that, we just went, what, how many minutes did we just do of them lying to us? Lying to us. And then you play that clip from 1994 and he knew the entire time. This was Dick's war. This was Dick and Rummy's war. But what... You gotta like. I try to always try to put myself in perspective and put them in their shoes. 
what drives somebody to do something like this? Because pass it's it has nothing to do with money at this point. He's he's he you know he's already got all the money in the world with Halliburton. He's he's very successful in what he's doing as a businessman. I mean, hell, he didn't even want to be vice president. Right. So why, why, I mean, what drives somebody this way? This is as close to a justification as I could find in the entire documentary. It is a wartime situation, and it does require tough um, programs and policies if you're going to be successful. And it was more important to be successful than it was to be loved. Now, is that, is that his front? Is that some sort of internalized justification or, I mean, to me... Is this a twisted computer game for him? I mean, why... To me, Iraq seems pretty clearly about, A, they wanted to make a statement to the Middle East that America was strong. B, they wanted to protect energy reserves. Uh, C, it's an awesome base of operations for activities in the Middle East. Right. And D, it made him a ton of money on Halliburton. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so, I, I, and all of his cronies. I So, all of that, when you look at all of that stuff, you can't... Just dismiss it as he was trying to protect America. No, you can't. I just don't. I don't feel like I, as a rational thinker, can come to that conclusion. I, I to be honest with you, though, I want to believe that. I want to believe that he was like this warrior that was like this galvanizing critical thinker that protected that he, America. That from, he loves America so much that he's willing to even lie. if he was way no 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 everything he did he really thought he was helping, but he was just. He was just tragically wrong. That's what I want to believe because that is that is less evil. But I, I just – after watching this documentary, hearing the clips beforehand, hearing hearing the special interest groups that got involved via his actions, I just I, – I cannot – I cannot as a rational thinker come to that conclusion. Well, you know, I know we don't have this clip yet. I know we're getting there every time I suggest it. You know what really grinds my gears, Chris? <laughs> What's that, Chase? Is, you know, the first time – this is my first time ever hearing uh, this documentary clips. Right, right. It was on Showtime, so not a lot of people have heard yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And so – and hearing these clips – and me as American, as a young American, yeah. and who has many friends, um, it's fascinating who, to hear such recent history, right? Yeah, and, and have it in a in a perspective, right? Like I do. It's Ten years on now, uh, you know, my my foster dad. We uh, witnessed this. Yeah, my my foster dad was was deployed. Yeah, uh, I had cousins, and, yeah. and yeah. Uh, I've I've had friends, yeah, uh, pass away because they were killed in combat. Yeah, yeah, me and too. And when 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 this kind of bull crap of a guy, you know, goes in and and sets up this foundation of lies. And this is not like, well, we got it wrong. You know, we we had information but we got it wrong. It, this is just blatancy. Well, you know, on the pre-show and it's going to be in the supporter show, we had a clip blatant where Nixon for political gain continued extended the Vietnam War for 5 years. Yeah. Think about that was like so many, like I mean, the number of lives that were lost it's in that initial worse five years. in Vietnam than it was yeah. in in, yeah. in the Middle East. And when these, but th- this kind of what's even more oh, tragic though is is the sort of police state that was set up, the Patriot Act, the warrantless wiretapping, which is goes, gets fascinating in this documentary. The the insights you get into the warrantless wiretapping, but you know, but you know what's worse, Chris? You know what's really sad about all this? What I mean, minus the lives that we've lost. What. It's the freedoms that we've lost. Yeah. All of us as Americans and people around the world, it's not. It, it doesn't just affect Americans because there's always residual overflow. Mm-hmm. You see what happens. Governments say, "Well, if America can do this, we're going to institute some of these policies well, as well." And you know, 
you know, uh, policy changes can be changed, they can be reversed, but one of the things that we seem to be... But people uh, get so damn complacent. That's true. But I think there's a bigger problem. I think the the debt that it has caused... Oh, it, oh we, we just God. Don't even, we, don't even, yeah. we don't even have begin to have the facilities to deal with it. In fact, uh, this clip You're right. gives us a little idea of some of the total true costs of the Iraq war. The Iraq war was supposed to be a lot of things... Cost effective for one. Office of Management and Budget estimated Rummy. it would be something under $50 billion. How Outside much estimates say up to $300 billion. <sighs> Baloney. But there was more Baloney. meat in that argument than economists and the Bush administration thought. The latest estimates put the total cost of the Iraq War at $823 billion, with reconstruction efforts in the country totaling over $300 billion. But it wasn't only the financial costs the Bush administration underestimated. It was also the human toll. Some of the higher-end predictions that we have been hearing recently, such as the notion that it will take several hundred thousand U.S. troops to provide stability in post-Saddam Iraq, are wildly off the mark. Listen to these guys. That was Rummy. So these guys are either so misinformed and mismanaged that it is almost criminal, or they're lying. When he said $300 would be hogwash... They're not, they haven't even told you what the actual cost is yet. No, no, they haven't. $300 billion is chump change. Compared to the number that you're going to A day later, hear. with 4,484 American military personnel dead, more than 32,000 physically injured, and tens of thousands of others suffering the mental impacts of the Iraq War. And hundreds of thousands of Iraqis. Those predictions proved to be right on point. As for the damage this war caused the Iraqi and American people... You think the American people are prepared for a long, costly and bloody battle with significant American casualties? Well, I don't, I don't think it's likely to unfold that way, Tim, because I really do believe we will be greeted as liberators. While <laughs> anywhere from 125,000 to 1 million Rockies died, the U.S. went into recession that cost millions of families their jobs and homes, and the notion of a noble nation riding in on white stallions to liberate a depressed people turned out to be smoke and mirrors. Ready for this, Chase? Uh, here you go. Here's the payoff. So $2 trillion right now, if you, if you uh, factor in the reconstruction costs, and the projection right now, if you, if you uh, run it out to 2015, uh, 2053, 2053, because of our continued involvement, will be $6 trillion. You know, Chris, if, if there isn't one thing that makes you feel powerless in this world, it's, it's hearing crap like this. Because when, when I... I mean, I don't have any kids, okay? I have many friends that have kids. You have two and a third on the way. Uh-huh. I feel terrible for your kids, man, because yeah. they're going to, I mean, uh, honestly, they're, they're going to inherit this, and we don't know what kind of world it's going to be in so, 30 I mean, years. One of the reasons I do this, this is, show is wow. because I want to give them, I, I honestly, one of the reasons I want to do this show is I want to give them a diary of what, what happened, what robbed them. I want them. I want them to have something to make sense of all of it. And it needs to be an unbiased view of it because you already hear the media spinning things in a certain way because they're being paid off to do that. But you touched on something that I thought was really interesting. You said you said you feel powerless, right? Because I think a lot of us do. Yeah. Because what happens is you you have governments that that will under the guise of well you know this is the way it is because it's the way it is and no one wants to get involved. No one wants to do anything. No one wants to actually vote and actually do their research about what the hell's going on out there. They, I think it's beginning to change. Well, it is, but the problem with it is it's it's changing at such a slow rate. Well, 
I think it's kind of like warp drive. It's like warp one is kind of slow. So it was, you know, about up to warp four, but I feel like it's getting up to warp five, six now. Um, it's starting to become a little more common knowledge for some of this stuff that used to be like really conspiracy stuff, not to be so conspiracy. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's sort of, I think it's sort of, I get really kind of uh, hyper- hyperbolic about it, but I think it kind of starts to spread like a virus. It does, but then, you know, you see the effects of things that happen in local government and regional government, yeah, yes. and you, you see, like, you know, priorities are not priorities. Right. And it's just... And when you talk about powerless, you talk about how the people in Cyprus must feel right now. Oh, God. I don't, I don't know if you followed much of this, but so uh, they need a bailout. You know, so the situation over there in the EU is, well, we don't cover it a lot because we don't have a great understanding of it. People are usually a little rough on us when we get it wrong, but I've followed the Cyprus stuff, and it is absolutely alarming. And what I want to do is uh, let's take a little trip in the time machine. We'll start out earlier in the week. The situation was unbelievable. Listen to this. Bank on this morning and the tiny little country of Cyprus. <laughs> tiny little it's country. tiny. Oh, it is a small country. But, very small. Uh, I... I so I was watching the story. I got about uh, 30 different news clips. We're only going to listen to four of them. And so many of them make fun of the, si- the size. It's ridiculous. Is now getting a bailout. But Eurozone finance ministers are doing it by seizing people's bank accounts. You hear this? Lauren Simonetti from the Fox Business oh. Network joins us to explain. <laughs> so all the citizens there were trying to withdraw their money from ATMs over the a weekend. Run on the- Big run on the banks because, of course, news comes down. Hey, by the way, if you make X amount, we're going to take like seven percent of your taking your money. And if you make if you make more than like a hundred thousand, whatever it was, we're going to take nine to nine point something percent. I mean, and this is how we're going to finance our, our, our the down payment, the not even the whole loan, well, gee, just gee, the down payment on least, a bailout hey, loan. At least they're knowing about this, right? I mean, our government right. will just go ahead and tax us anyway, not <laughs> even tell us. Listen to this: it's a small European nation of Cyprus making news today as the fifth Euro nation to need. A bailout, but the term- All right, so it's the fifth nation. Now we've covered some of these, right? Terms of this thir- whoa, whoa, hold on, jeez. Teen billion dollar rescue are much different from all the other ones. Savers in Cyprus will bear the burden. Their bank deposits will be taxed if you have more than a hundred thousand euros in the bank. So they're going after the savings account. Okay, they're going after the savings account. You're going to be punished for saving your money. So here we were on the show, what, two weeks ago, and you're yeah. talking about how you have personal responsibility and you know you tried to save up in case you lost your job. And That's right. Now imagine you're in this position and we have a financial situation. And they come along and say, all right, well, we got to reach in. And they just electronically are going to reach in. And- well, maybe this is the, I need to start, I need to invest in a $500 safe yeah, or yeah. a big safe yeah. that's bolted to like the Hold earth. Hold that thought. Hold okay. that thought. Hold okay. that investment thought. Okay. You'll face a 9.9% levy. Less than the 100,000 euros, the tax is still pretty high, six and three quarters percent. Over the weekend, yes, many nervous savers tapped out the ATM. Remember, a lot of Russians with a lot of money have money in Cyprus. And this controversial bailout is up for a parliamentary vote this afternoon, so it can be changed and amended to penalize the smaller saver less. But the good thing here is that markets in Cyprus are closed today for a hmm. holiday, but U.S. Hmm. stocks are yeah. certainly open for business and futures are reacting really negative. That's- so uh, they, they, did a, they did like an extended bank holiday. <clears throat> now, uh, so <sighs> this gets even better. Now, one of the things I didn't appreciate not being a finance guy is there's already kind of a system in place for this situation. And this is where uh, the bondholders would traditionally get screwed. So instead of going to the citizens and taking money out of 
your savings account, what you would do as a government is you would default on the bonds that people have bought. Right. So those people get screwed, but boom, all of a sudden you don't owe any of that money and you have all those funds available and you can pay for the thing you need to do. That's traditionally what would happen if I'm getting that right. This clip goes a little further. Well, I'm now joined live by global market analyst Patrick Young, who will uh, no doubt have plenty to say on the controversial bailout plan. Patrick, thank you very much for joining us. Of course, this uh, levy will be painful for many to swallow, but surely it's uh, in the interests, isn't it, for everyone? Better to live with a little less money now than walk around in a bankrupt state, surely? Of course, it's always going to be better to be living in a state that's solvent and not bankrupt. But I think the question that must be on the lips of every single Cypriot saver today is the idea of why do they have to pay and why do the bondholders not have to pay? That is what is inherently so physically wrong with this deal as proposed. You see, bonds, government debt and so on, those people are investors. They take a risk. Ultimately, it should be a relatively safe investment, but in this case, it's all gone horribly wrong. What is appalling about this particular instance is that the European Union, the Eurozone, have taken a step forward beyond their previous policy where they always said individuals will not be harmed, we will not take money out of the mouths of pensioners, and actually they've done that. They're stealing money from pensioners, from savers, in order to support bondholders, which of course is the great hypocritical irony of this, because essentially you've got nations like Germany turning around and saying, ah, Cyprus must pay for its outrageous activity in the course of recent years fiscally, when actually what the Germans also want to do is support their own banks who hold these bonds. That Uh, is what is entirely immoral, unreasonable, and is ultimately a potential tipping point for the entire eurozone between safety and panic. So that was the key part. Germany owns those bonds. They hold those bonds. So if you default, you screw Germany. I don't want that. Now, uh, so we move, we're, let's move forward a little bit and a little bit of more background here. From Russia <laughs> with love, Almost 40% of deposits in Cypriot banks belong to foreigners, many of whom are Russians. Yes, even the Russian mob. Our wealth editor, Robert Frank, here with the fallout. Hello, Robert. Thanks, Larry. Well, Cyprus is not just a tax haven for Russia. It is the tax haven for Russian billionaires and millionaires. Russian investment is about five times the total economic output for Cyprus. You hear that? Wow. Okay. So uh, we got an email uh, from a viewer. I don't know if you uh, if you want to pull it up, Chase. Yes. It's uh, down here. It was uh, from uh, Glibby. Mm-hmm. And, uh, or Gibby. He's in the chat room. Yep. And uh, he says that... Uh, hold on. I didn't link. He says here that uh, he is over. He's over in this neck of the woods, and he was curious to get our perspective on it. Do you want to read just? Yeah. Like, you don't have to read all of it. Maybe just like a snip of it, the beginning there. Yeah. So uh, you know, he did. Hey, uh, hi, Chris and Chase, and he wanted to talk about his first thoughts were, you know, how, wow, can they do this? Then I got to thinking, why Cyprus? Right. Logic would dictate that they are trying to set a precedent to, in order to do a small, uh, to do similar in what other EU nations and. Maybe they thought Cyprus was a small country and no nobody would notice too much. However, Cyprus is a huge expat location for us Brits. Among others, we still have we still maintain a huge military presence there, so we're bound to find out and jump up and down in the UK. Then it gets interesting when you look deeper into whose savings will be affected. Fire up the grill, Mama. Time to get some bacon to fry. Right, now hold it there before we get into frying the bacon. Yes. So from his perspective. Yes. 
it's a big conspiracy that this might be because Russians have a ton of money over right. there, and that's why they want to do this 10% tax on savings accounts. Right. Like, to him, it seems like... They're going after the Russians. But, but to him, that seems like that might be a conspiracy. Right. From from my angle, when I've been researching this, that seems so blatantly obvious what's going on. Here, let me play the rest of this before we continue. Sure. And Russians account for $20 billion of total bank deposits in Cyprus. That's about a third of the total. Now, among the top Russians in Cyprus is Dmitry Rabolovlev. He's the fertilizer magnate who is now the biggest shareholder in the Bank of Cyprus. He's also put a lot of money into U.S. real estate. He's the guy who bought Donald Trump's $100 million <laughs> estate in Palm Beach. And his daughter, through a trust, bought Sandy Wiles' $88 million condo in New York. The mystery, Larry, is why these Russians kept so much money in Cyprus when they knew the banks were in trouble. One possible reason is that there are fewer other choices. Governments around the world are cracking down on tax evasion and money laundering. Switzerland is no longer a secret. Monaco, the Cayman Islands, and Singapore are all complying increasingly with global capital rules. So even with a 10% tax, Cyprus may still be the most attractive option for the Russian rich. Back to you. Hey, Cyprus is actually like the most perfect little haven for Russia because it's not attached to Russia, but it's close enough where they can physically move money down there. Yeah. It's it, it's completely outside their Russian crazy banking system. I mean, of course this is what's going on. In fact, Russia Today was blowing up about this whole thing because, of course, Russia Today works for the Russian government, and they were extremely upset about this. Uh, so they were they were totally against this. Uh, and, and, and as it turns out, the public response, the public opinion was very strong. Not that one, this one. Tonight, a people's revolt. The parliament in Cyprus rejected the terms of a bailout deal, and MPs were fated by a dense crowd. The people had been angered at having to pay a levy on their savings. So obviously, huge protest about this, oh, right? Oh, well, you'd be out there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we are sending a message to Trega, to Eurogroup, to the EU. The MPs said they were sending Europe's leaders a message, but it has deepened the crisis in the Eurozone. It was apparent early in the day that the protests against the deal would be large. Coaches delivered protesters from across the island. Everybody's uh, disappointed. This was the mood of one of the MPs arriving for the vote. And we decided to vote, no, this uh, policy that the Eurogroup has decided for my people is catastrophic. And in the large crowds, Russian flags. They are some of the biggest investors in Cyprus and have threatened to remove their money from the island if part of their funds are seized. Oh, right. So they're like, we're uh, going to take our money out. Now, check this out, Chase. Yes. So with the people's revolt that happens, they say, all right, OK, well, I guess now we need a plan B. There are two very different debates taking place in Cyprus to try and find a resolution to the crisis. One here at the presidential palace, where cabinet and political leaders are meeting with the Troika, working to stave off bankruptcy. And the other debate on the streets of Nicosia, where the people, flushed with delight after the overwhelming rejection of the hated EU bailout, made it clear they'd contribute to the bank deficit, but on their own terms. The way the Germans came here with their money, it's as if they're enslaving us. If the state asks us for money, we will give it. But we won't have our pockets picked. We'd rather go hungry than be slaves. People of my age who've worked all their lives have money. And we are a hard-working people, and even on our own, we always come out on top. 
at the presidential palace, several hours of discussion had produced some early results. Various plans are now being um, prepared and we are going to the central bank just to do that. What are the plans? <laughs> Various plans. What is the most likely plan? Can you give us an idea? No, I cannot tell. Is there going to be any problem <laughs> with liquidity in the bank? No, I don't think so. No, I'll tell you what it is. I have. A, I'm going to make a little red book prediction here in. Uh, Whoa! Yeah, Chris is finally making oh. a red book prediction. Well, I like to be conservative, Chase. I'll have to tell you. In fact, I wonder. I wonder if the chat room. Uh, let's see if the chat room can guess what my prediction is going to be. I will make oh. a prediction of who is going to bail out Cyprus. All right. So chat room. Chris wants to know who's going who to bail out Cyprus? Cyprus. What do you think, Chase? Do you have any guesses? Oh God! So here's what we know: uh, if Cyprus goes down, this starts a cascade effect that really is going to hurt hurt the EU banking yeah, system. Yeah. Plus, it actually also hurts the United States because we have obviously a pretty big interest. Maybe, maybe in it. Spain might step up. No, Spain's pretty screwed. Yeah, I know they are. Yeah, not Portugal. So here Can't we be go. Done that. No, no. All right, no. so unfilter uh, forty two. All right, North. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Let's, let's, should we run the? <laughs> yes, run it. All right, please. here we go. We're gonna run it. What There's do we some got? good ones. All right, pick one, Chase. Uh, Sakura Mbu, North Korea. No, no, Aww. no. That would be great, though. That'd be great. Let's do another one. Okay. Slip says China. Oh, hmm. Mm. What do you think, China? Ch- Let's think about China. China, a uh, yeah. very wealthy nation, although they could be struggling with some uh, economic booms. And bubbles themselves right but now, but they are, you know, building other countries right now. Yeah, but Cyprus is pretty much a Western-aligned uh, state. Yeah, nope, I'm going to say no, Chase. Let's go with another uh, one. All right. Hammy and Penguin Man are saying Russia. There you go. Ding 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 ding. ding, ding, ding. We've got it. We've got it. Yep. I'm going to say it's going to be Russia. Now, Russia is going to have to give some pretty good terms in order to make it all legit. Yes. But uh, I think uh, because of the investments that are there, it's it's, it's easily within it's, it's 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 probably within Putin's own personal interests. <laughs> yeah. To bail them out. Yeah, so I absolutely. I think it's going to be Russia, and I think it's going to be some sort of uh, pretty slick deal. In fact, uh, some people think that. Uh, they might get some very, very lucrative uh, natural gas uh, field uh, rights. There's as always going to be trade somewhere. So that, yeah, yeah. yeah, so that could be coming. So we'll see. We'll keep people uh, tuned in. But it's very interesting. It starts, it starts with we're just going to automatically go in and take your money. <laughs> and it, it moves on to this. But it's left a lot of people um, uh, unconfident in the, in the banking system. Yeah. And uh, people might call me crazy. But as a result, Bitcoin this week has seen a huge boom. Yes. The announcement that Cyprus would impose a tax on bank accounts as part of the country's bailout plan has raised strong concerns among a lot of Europeans who are now looking to place their savings elsewhere. And while some will be opting to hide their money under the mattress, others are considering Me. converting their cash into digital currency. In Spain, for example, several Bitcoin-related apps have started spiking on the national smartphone market. Introduced in 2009, Bitcoin is a digital currency used by web users to carry out decentralized, anonymous, and free online transactions. The Bitcoin money supply is determined by an algorithm, so there's no bank involved, and it can't be controlled by any government. So whilst this offers all sorts of money laundering opportunities, it is winning over a growing number of savers who have lost confidence in the traditional banking system. It's weird that they play that clip in the background. But that's the Bitcoin video they're playing. Yeah. 
Bitcoins can be converted into dollars or euros via virtual currency exchange offices like the site Mt. Gox, and European demand appears to have soared in recent months. The Bitcoin value plummeted in 2011 after a security breach at the leading exchange, but it's now stronger than ever. One Bitcoin would have got you $13 back in January. It's now worth over $53. And actually, and now, as we record right now, it's worth uh, 65 I'll show 50. your screen right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Bitcoin is blown up this week, and uh, people have been tracing a lot of... Uh, there's been a big uptick in Bitcoin apps in Spain. Um, we have we have more information in there, but one of the side effects of the Eurozone crisis could be that some people turn to the deregulated, decentralized currency when they otherwise may not have considered it. The events in Cyprus this past week, where it looked like the government, in despite need, in desperate need of money, had planned to impose levies on savings, seem to have coincided with a spike in downloads in Bitcoin mo- mobile apps in Spain, uh, as well as uh, 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 other countries that have, like Spain, that have uh, wobbly economic situations. Yep. So they go on to say here that uh, also today that uh, along with this whole thing, Al Gore came out on his Twitter I was feed. just going to say, yeah, can you believe Al Gore said, hey, uh, you know, not only that I invented the internet. Right. Uh, but I'm also a big fan of Bitcoin. I'm a big fan of Bitcoin. He says. He says. Uh, he says it's a. He's impressed by it. He says. Uh, what reg- could go wrong? He says regulation of money needs to be uh, depoliticized, especially uh, to when it applies to virtual currencies. You need to say it like him. Regulation of money supply needs to be depoliticized, especially as it applies that's, to virtual currencies. That's a pretty good gore, man. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so uh, Max Kaiser chimes in with a little more of the uh, psychological reason why Bitcoin might be doing good when uh, there's Eurozone crises. The government will not be confiscating Bitcoin. That's a huge difference between Bitcoin and having a fake illusory wealth tied up in a piece of real estate. Back in the 1930s, of course, America under Roosevelt confiscated gold. Well, they can't confiscate Bitcoin. It's, it's immune from government stupidity. Uh, which is what's making it drive even higher. So if you have an $85 million home in Hong Kong, you should sell it and buy Bitcoin if you want to preserve your wealth. Otherwise, you're just giving the government a lot of your money. (laughs) So what you're saying is I should be buying more Bitcoin. So Bitcoin's pretty interesting. I've followed it since... uh, uh, Do you have any Bitcoin, Chris? Yeah, I do. I do. I have about $2,200 worth of Bitcoin. Um, uh, because I bought, I bought, uh, I bought like a small handful, but I mined for a while back in the day to warm the studio. I warmed the studio by running my GPUs, and I mined bitcoins, and uh, I got a bunch. And then I got my account hacked, and I oh. lost half. So I actually would probably have several so, thousand dollars. So, so here, here, you know, for me being a noob in Bitcoin, now's not the time for me to buy. Um, because it's I don't I don't it's like the I stock if, market, right? I don't know you if don't, I want to get into that. I would think so. You know, so you don't do uh, that. Was were you able to pull up my? Yeah, screen? I did. All yeah, right. Yeah. So if you look at my screen here, uh, yeah. so it's at sixty five dollars. Okay. If we look at it for the last 24 hours, you can see it's just been on this uh, skyrocketing up and up ladder trajectory. And where these big spikes are, are like when different areas of the world wake up. One of the things that's crazy about Bitcoin is it's not a U.S. currency. That's it's true. a world currency. Right. So people are all around the world wake up at different times. Now, what's really something, Chase, is if you take it all the way out to say, uh, uh, let's, let's see how far can we zoom out. Can we zoom out to, well, six months, but we'll go, I wish I could go further, but six months will kind of prove my point. If you look at Bitcoin, it goes up, it goes up, and then it crashes, and then it goes up, and then it crashes. And, and each time, the crash is not as significant, but it's sort of like this um, leveling out. So I need to wait for the next crash. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, so 
Bitcoin's tough. I could really, I would love to actually talk a lot about this because I find Bitcoin to be extremely fascinating. Just experiment recently. Uh, I, that's how I paid for my note too, was I cashed in some Bitcoins and uh, that was an interesting experience. And uh, I, uh, I've, I've done some gambling <laughs> using Bitcoin just right. to kind of play. And yeah. it's, it's fun. You know, there's everything. And they're really cool. Like they're HTML5, you know, like totally advanced. And some of them are like open source web apps that wow. are all. And so you, you gamble like everything, slots, uh, poker, uh, everything with Bitcoin. And I, you know, I played and I, I, I made like, I earned like literally two Bitcoin. So uh, then I stopped. <laughs> I was like, all right, I'm done. Profit. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> and at the time Bitcoin, like it then was, was like $55 a coin. Wow. Um, wow. So I, I find it to be what what I really like about Bitcoin is I feel like even whatever the situation is when it's tied to the dollar or whatever, it seems like there is some inherent problems it solves. First of all, uh, I have contractors who work with Jupiter Broadcasting who are in Canada. Oh, right. Exchange rate. Right. Whereas if I pay them in Bitcoin, I just launched my Bitcoin wallet. I, I put their address in. I hit send and they immediately get it. And there's no there's nobody to go through or anything like that. Um, you can you can use tumbling services to pay for things anonymously. So there's services out there like I probably shouldn't talk about this, but the Silk Road. Have you heard of Have what? you heard of the Silk Road? No, I haven't. So the Silk Road is it's like a trade market where anything goes. Ah, uh, okay. Mostly drugs, and that's a huge way bitcoins are used right now. It's kind of the the elephant in the room because that's where it kind of gets legitimate because with with the combination of encryption, the Tor network, and Bitcoin. No one can know anything that's going on. Right. Right. And it's it's you know, I mean it's, so it has caused online drug ordering to explode and there's been there's been several articles about it. I've gone on tour, I've checked it out just out of fascination and it it, it really has blown my mind. Wow. Also sites like WordPress and archive.org and Reddit are now and uh, 4chan are now taking payments in Bitcoin. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put it in a, I'm gonna put a donation link in the show notes if people want to contribute to Unfilter with Bitcoin. So think about this. Okay. So think about if you wanted to be like a, I mean, I'm just going to go out super crazy pie in the sky here, okay? Okay, all right. But let's say you loved what the Unfilter show was about, and you were a big investor, and you know you just totally loved the content, and you wanted to, you wanted us to step it up to the next level, and you wanted to fund like a year's worth of production, and you wanted like you want us to go two days a week and all this kind of stuff, but you don't, you don't want to be known as the person who's doing this. Bitcoin allows you to anonymously, if you go through the effort, send a payment to somebody immediately. And there would be, and there would be no trail. No trail. I see what you're saying. Like, There's no intermediary. Because if, if, if someone went, say, hey, you know what, and they wanted to be a uh, quote-unquote angel investor for Jupiter Broadcasting. Right. And they went through the normal traditional channels, like through PayPal. That's all trackable. Now, that might be fine for some people. But or, people would know. Or the, the, the other, or the other so the other thing that has been making Bitcoin increase in worth is there's a limited amount. There will only be like 21, 22 million ever created. And they're at a set fixed rate. So uh, you buy now because the th- in theory is there's built-in scarcity. So that way the value goes up. And this is something that blows a lot of people's minds, but the people who really look into this think, okay, there could be some, there could be some practical purposes to that. So the idea is that uh, somebody, like, say you wanted to donate to the show using Bitcoin. You could donate today, and Bitcoins are worth, you could give us one coin, and you'd be donating $65 to the show, Can right? Can you fractions of a coin? Or yes. Just, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, but... But it could, but it seems likely that Bitcoin could also continue to go upwards 
That's true. And so you would, in a sense, you would be donating $65 today, but that could be $75 in a week. It could be 85 So it's something you can give the it's, show and it continues to grow. To, to make a good uh, equivalent, it's like, say, uh, I mean, right now, Apple stock is going up. So it's, let's say someone donated. Yeah. It, well, I mean, let's say someone donated 10 years ago a sh- one share of Apple stock to you. Right. Now yeah. that share is or gold. Word, or gold. Gold might actually be a little more Actually, you're right. Yeah, but gold. But here's the other way to yeah. think about it. If I'm WordPress, and WordPress is now allowing you to pay for WordPress hosting with Bitcoins, okay? Now, if I'm WordPress and I'm watching the markets closely, and I've been trying this out to see if this is practical, and I think I, I think it is practical, although it's risky, but you could get you could take payments for service, okay? And then if the markets are doing well, you could sit on those coins for a couple of days, then cash them in. And so while somebody paid you at $50... You really made 60 Yeah, exactly. Right. Right? And yeah. now when you're paying your staff and things like that, that makes a really big difference. That's true. Now, it also could go the other way because Bitcoin is extremely volatile. And because the market's not very big, manipulation is possible. So you got guys out there like Max Kaiser who have Bitcoins. They're not disclaim- disclaiming that appropriately, although he also rants and raves about being a Bitcoin millionaire. Uh, but so he can actually sometimes move the needle a little bit when it comes to Bitcoin. That is extremely risky. That's so true. It's, it's one of those things where, uh, people are really freaked out about it because it's this digital thing. Yeah. Meanwhile, you're completely fine with a fiat cash currency. Oh yeah. You know, yeah, it, it, it's, it's so strange like that. But it's been a big boom. It's been interesting to watch it go. Um, I'm really surprised that governments... Um, and even the U.S., for example, have really tried to step in and Actually, squish it. So, uh, so I don't know the exact agency, but there was a memo put out by the federal government this week, and this is another reason why it went up big. Uh, Essentially legitimizing Bitcoin. What they said was, uh, there's some regulations you need to follow if you're an exchange, and here they are, and they outline them. But uh, you know, if you're just exchanging in Bitcoins and you're just producing Bitcoins, you're completely off the grid, and we're going to keep it that way. Wow. And that's literally in the advisory they put out. Huh. And when that came out, uh, Bitcoin jumped up like up to, I think that was the day it broke $50. Because it helped legitimize. Yeah. yeah. Right. So it's it's been it's been what people are doing, what some people are theorizing is people are using it as a currency sort of, um, you, you, can, you can save your currency in there. Like you could take something out in dollars today and put it in Bitcoin and potentially it'd be worth something down the road. Now, maybe not, right? But the thing about Bitcoin is is that it's direct. So there's a lot of smartphone apps now that are all like QR code based. So you walk up to me and you just take a scan of my QR code and we can exchange money. And so if you're in a situation where you're starting to lose faith in your banking system, you're starting to, you know, worry about them taking money out Let's of your account. Let's say you're Cyprus. Right. <laughs> you're it a might resident make sense of Cyprus. But you just say screw it, we're just going to go peer to peer, person to person. If I need to buy something from you, I'll let you scan my QR code and Because we'll essentially do it. you're the bank. I'm the bank, in a sense. I, I know there's some comp, you know technicalities in there, but basically you're managing your own thing. Yeah. Period. I mean, I think I find Bitcoin fascinating. I would not start dumping my savings into it. I have some Bitcoins now. Um, I think that's great because I, I find it really fascinating. I kind of want to like I want to like experiment with doing different things with them to see how like feasible it is. Like, I'm curious, like if I could buy something and you know, like actually in Bitcoins. Consider going on Silk Road and like purchasing something and then getting it here and like just going through that whole process because you know you got to get the package in the mail. It's true. But once I have it, it's legal to have. Yeah. I was thinking like cannabis. Oh, yeah. You know, I could try it, but no, 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 Chris. No, all you need is a medical license. Just go down to oh, the right. store and yeah, just I know, do that I know, one. but I'm just really. I'm, you want to be anonymous. I know. I'm, I'm completely fascinated by the entire no, it's, concept. It's, it, it is very, very interesting to say the but, least. To, but I think right now, I think the, the, uh, some of the things that are a little more legitimate is like donations to archive.org and WordPress. I think that's awesome. Yeah. 
Um, and I had fun. Like I went and it played. Still, their value too. I played some video poker for like 15 minutes before I pushed out. I thought that was great. <laughs> you know. So anyway, I'm, I'm I'm thinking about it just because of the poker aspect. I never really. It's thought a lot about of fun, that. right? Yeah, and it's yeah. like. It's so dumb, our, our, our online poker laws. I, it's so dumb even here in the state of Washington. Yes. It's a felony yeah. here if yeah. you try to play online. It's crazy. Anyways, so uh, I'll have a link. Yeah. I'm going to have a link in the show notes. If people want to donate, I'll have a six-month and a year option, and they're, they're both discounted by a month. So if people want to – and there's a little t- – I'm trying out uh, – so uh, this, there's a service that's been started up by one of the uh, Y Combinator guys. Okay. From that, you know, Hacker News Y Combinator. Yeah. He is starting like a, not PayPal for Bitcoin, but it's, they call it Coinbase. And there's like merchant services where you can do payment processing. And there's, uh, you know, they set you up with doing buying Bitcoins and selling oh, wow. Bitcoins. And it's like this totally legitimate thing with VC funding and all this kind <laughs> of stuff. Awesome. So I'm using this Coinbase. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to have a button. But if I can't figure out how to get it working just yet, I'll, I'll have like the, the, the code like, in there yeah. or something that people can use. Cool. But it's, yeah, something to try if people want to donate to the show that way. See where it goes. Maybe it could be, it could, it seems to me like in a utopian internet future, like the user pays directly for their thing with big, I mean, it seems well, not like it awesome. but, but it allows somebody, if they want to get involved an- truly anonymously, right? And, and you know, they, or you know what else they want to be off the grid about it. Even not anonymous, because if, you know, like the way I have used Bitcoin in the past, like when I'm like doing my, like my, my uh, video poker I was doing, none of that was anonymous. Right. I'm doing it all from the same address and all this kind of stuff. Right. But, but the other aspect to it, I don't know. It, it seems like it has a lot of potential for, uh, uh, it could become like a unified virtual currency. This is probably never going to happen. But imagine if World of Warcraft's cash store and Star Trek Online's cash store and SOTOR all used Bitcoin as a backend because Bitcoin can also be a payment processing protocol. And so you could actually use the Bitcoin network just to process a universal payment system between all the games. So I, as a user, could charge like a Coinbase Bitcoin account, and then I could buy digital goods at all the different games. But, you know, the moment EA gets involved, it's all over. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> all right. Well, so anyways, that was just, uh, it's just been really amazing to watch really all that cool. happen. But yeah. Chase, I think it's time we do a... Do you remember that story that I uh, covered weeks ago about uh, the UN looking into the U.S.'s uh, uh, use of drones in yes, Pakistan? Yes. The United Nations is now speaking out against the U.S. drone war. The UN Special Rapporteur on Human Rights and Counterterrorism is calling the drone program in Pakistan a violation of the country's sovereignty. UN official Ben Emerson said the drone campaign is being carried out without the consent of the people of Pakistan. This after investigating the U.S. drone program by meeting with representatives of tribal areas in Pakistan that have been hotbeds for drone strikes. It's the strongest statement made by an international official against the U.S.'s targeted killing program. Back in January, Emerson said he would investigate 25 drone strikes in Pakistan, Afghanistan, and other overseas drone targets. The White House has yet to respond to Emerson's findings. Yeah, so the findings are not supposedly, as the guy says, about changing policy. Emerson's findings likely won't change U.S. policy. Uh, pa- a Pakistan al- uh, analyst said that uh, he thinks that, if anything, this will hopefully just bring more attention to the issue. It's not about forcing the U.S. to change policy, he said. It's more about educating on an issue that could create a dangerous precedent for other countries. So nothing's really going to happen from this, it doesn't sound like. Oh, no. But, I mean... Right now, U.S. is doing whatever they want in Pakistan. That's obviously apparent. Going back to Osama, 
Yeah. Obama. Osama, Bob, what? Uh, what? I'm sorry. I don't know. I wanted to answer two questions about Bitcoin in the chat room real quick. Uh, yes, you can order pizza with Bitcoin. And, and uh, bacon. Like Bank points out, there's also stores online where you can order a lot of computer parts. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of services and things you can buy with Bitcoin. Yes, absolutely. Silk Road is just one of them. Uh, but one of the things they do sell on Silk Road would be the marijuana. Now, the Chase, marishawana, yeah. I have a story from uh, a local news. Yeah. See if you can uh, pick the network out here. Okay. Today, the state announced its blue ribbon panel of... This is a tough one. I'll set the scene for you. Wait, no, no, wait, no. Play, just play it one more time. Consult- oh, from the beginning? Yeah. Okay. Today, the state announced its blue ribbon panel of... Con- they can't get it, I don't think. It's tough. Channel 4. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> so, uh, so I love it when Channel 4 does this. They do this all the time. They send the same reporter down. I forget his name right now, but he's always in the same grow room. <laughs> and, and, and he's always got the fans going and his hair is going. And uh, so this is uh, a big step in Washington State's legalization process. And one of those things that we've had to do is is get some people involved to figure out how much pot we're going to be smoking and how much pot we're going to be buying, but not produce too much pot that we end up having a bunch leaving the state. Right. So this is kind of a little little update about that. Consultants to help us decide how we should grow and distribute this. What's their first recommendation? I'm Matt Markovich. We'll have that story coming right oh, up. All the tech dude. Our state has its first official marijuana consultant. It's a firm contracted to help decision makers who are establishing a legal marijuana industry in our state. Their first task? To determine how much pot our state smokes. Como Force Matt Markovich has more. How much pot should be grown? A lot. What's going to be the average price? <laughs> How many people should grow it and sell it? Today we are announcing and introducing members of the team. These are just a few of the questions a panel of experts from Bowtech Analysis, a Massachusetts company, will answer. It won a competitive bid to become our state's first official marijuana consultant and provide recommendations to the State Liquor Control Board, the agency charged with establishing the licensing rules for our new marijuana law. It's breaking new ground. What's happening in Colorado and Washington is truly unprecedented. No country in the world has removed the prohibition on the commercial production, distribution, and possession of marijuana for non-medical purposes. Not even the Netherlands. The $100,000 contract will pay for a wide-ranging team of experts, including Mark Kleinman. What's the case against making marijuana legal nationally? A respected UCLA professor who has researched the pluses and minuses of making marijuana legal. Their first priority? To decide how much pot our state consumes on a daily basis. What the experts predict will begin to answer many questions. Because that's going to be the basis for the number of licenses at the producer, processor, and retail level. Initially, the state estimated there would be 100 licensed growers, 55 licensed processors, and 328 licensed sellers. And a licensing... 100 growers sounds like maybe it's 10 times too few. Yeah. I think there could be 100 growers in Snohomish County. <laughs> fee would be well, one, all legal or illegal? Well, $1,000 a year for each activity. But all of this could change depending on what the consultant recommends. Policymakers here in Washington and Colorado, they're facing questions that no one has ever had to address. The first licensed growing operation will begin this summer unless the federal government sues to stop it. In Mac Olympia, Mark Matt Markovich, Como 4 News. 
Today, a state house committee heard a proposal that would allow pot shops to be closer to parks, daycares, and public buildings. Instead of 1,000 feet away, they would only need a 500-foot buffer, greatly well, increasing the areas open for business. The only exception would be near schools. Yeah. Can't have the kids. Now, uh, now your girl. I love chicken. Was out. I uh, ate too much chicken. Oh, she, Aaron. She had this Aaron, new, Aaron. what people are adorably calling the pot czar on. Oh, and she Aaron. had a good five-minute run-up where she was playing cheek, cheek, and Cheek and Cheech and Chong clips and Chong cheese. I don't even know what it is. Cheech and Chong. Yeah, just all kinds of like typical stuff, right? So I don't know if this guy is a little agitated, but uh, he comes on the show and he's here to talk serious about marijuana policy. Marijuana. And actually, at the end of the conversation, I'm not so sure it's a good thing for cannabis activists. Sounds like it. Sounds um, like you know a lot. I'd imagine you've tested it out too, right? Like, come on, you smoked a little weed, right? You smoked a little weed, right? Come on, come on. Come on, tell and me. She had just, just played a clip of somebody else asking him the question and him dodging it. I mean, just to be clear here, right? You do, uh, you if, know. If, if, and she's smiling and she's looking good too, Chase, and she's thinking about you. She's got, a, she's got that glow. thinking about me. She was. She's got yeah. a glow. If, if you do drug policy for a living and you're asked that question, you have two options. You can say, yes, I'm a lawbreaker, come arrest me. Or you can say, no, I don't know anything about the stuff I'm talking about. And since neither of those is a really a very advantageous thing to say, I just make it a policy not to respond. Well, you could always go with the uh, I didn't inhale option. <laughs> um, but let me... No, because I, I, I actually think whether, whether uh, people on our team have used cannabis one time or another, or what they think about it, or even what they think about cannabis legalization, is irrelevant to the job we've been chosen to do. Hmm. Our job is to tell the Liquor Control Board what the likely consequences are, good and bad, of different choices they could make. Um, so so let, me, let me ask you about that, because they, they've, they've asked you, sorry, a little bit of a delay, but they've asked you, they want to get uh, $560 million in revenue from legalizing uh, marijuana. That seems like a lot of money. So you're going to do the analysis on how much pot they'd need to grow and sell to actually reach that goal. I mean, what, what, how much? That's probably the wrong way to ask the question. It now, can you imagine... How Aaron feels after he says that, after it's already kind of been a difficult interview. Now, oh, listen. Oh, man. If you listen closely, you'll hear Aaron writing down on her paper. And I believe what she's writing is notes to her producer saying, You stupid B I T C H. I cannot believe you had me ask this question. It's, it went horrible. I think, yeah. now listen, this, because she's just like writing stuff down. Listen. It's true that the, that the uh, revenue office estimated mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. as a possible tax tag. That's not my understanding the Liquor Control Board is using that as a target. At least I hope they're not. Um, that's probably the full size of the marijuana market in Washington now. So we're not going to try to figure out how much money the state's going to make. We're going to try hmm. and figure out how much marijuana is used now, how much more might be used if it were legal, um, and therefore how much they could grow and sell within the state without running to the problem of having people export it out of state. That's the big problem as it looks to me. Ah, but, okay. But uh, this is not a revenue maximization estimate. It's not like, like a state lottery. Right? The only way to make a lot of money selling marijuana is to sell it to people who smoke a lot of marijuana, and that's not a good thing. Now, don't you think that's an interesting comment? So this guy, in his position, says that getting well, more people to smoke he, marijuana is not a good thing. You get, he's walking a fine line here. Yeah. Because first off, he, he wants to come off as professional. You know, He's been hired by the state of Washington to do this job that yeah. they can't figure out how to do on he's their own. He's got a good pedigree. And he's got a very good pedigree, and you know he's being very respectful in his answers. 
Um, if maybe smacking it down a little bit. But but the other thing too, you got to realize is just like any other uh, legal drug, like say alcohol, as a great example, is you know you don't have alcohol co- uh, companies come in and say, hey, you know we want people to buy loads of our product and get wasted and drunk. Wait, you don't? That's what beer ads are. Yeah, I know, I, but they don't. Oh, right. But Wait. they don't come out openly and you know what, like do that. Okay. So I think. He's he's playing the angle here. Yeah. That's that's what I think. I, I agree. And I think that if he comes off semi critical or at least concerned or whatever, and he still ends up recommending policies that are pro cannabis uh, legalization, right. then that's even a bigger win because you have somebody with a pedigree, you have somebody who's written books on the topic who factual has, you have somebody who has a team who seems like they have some credentials, and you also have somebody who's maybe said he's he's also made comments to the extent of he doesn't believe it is even possible for Washington State to legalize because it's illegal federally. Right. So he thinks it's incompatible. But now he says that's not going to influence his study. It, it, it can influence the study. Now, I don't know if we've ever put this in the red book, hmm. but maybe Chris... There was... Since, there was go ahead. Well, I, had, I had a red book, actually, now that you mentioned that, too. I, I was going to say, I mean, so do you think the federal government is going to step in? So uh, <clears throat> I didn't until today. And the reason is, is when I was listening to some of these other clips that didn't make it into the show, one of the things that they say is, well, we believe we can continue forward with such and such, uh, but if we get sued and blocked by the federal government, we will not do such and such, but we'll move ahead with such and such. So they've already made, like, plans to create... Plan they, Yes. They've made it, they've, they have, like, an established the framework plan, which is the essentials that they believe they can move forward with, even if they get blocked. And then they have the, if we don't get blocked, we're going to do these next set of plans. And the fact that they almost seem to be kind of planning on getting blocked seems dangerous. Well, how to me. can well you got to you got to look at it this way. This is a huge undertaking not only for the state of Washington but for the state of Colorado. And when you have that much money at stake and that much political clout at stake, you got to have an insurance policy. And I think this is the insurance policy that they have to play. They have to play this insurance policy because if they don't, you're going to yeah. piss off a huge electorate. So do you think the feds are going to try to block it? I think we it was a show or two ago where I there was a spokeshole who <laughs> who was jumping on and basically saying that that the government has to because if because if, if they right it was uh, yeah it was one of the old uh, DEA guys yeah that's right and I'm inclined kind of to agree that they the government has to now whether or what not what if what if what if they know I don't that, agree with it what I'm if just they saying. know that and they say that's why we're not going to do anything I mean Obama. Was Obama was the guy that invented the roof hit in his group, where he would he would everybody would take a big big drag, and then he would take a hit off the roof of the car because it was he was in the Klum gang, and they all smoked a bunch of weed. I mean, he is a, what's he but, was a weed smoker. But what's to stop? All right, weed. This is one thing, weed. I mean, but what's by, to stop? By the way, it's not practical because there's a no. whole machinery behind him that doesn't yeah. want it legalized. Yeah, but what's what's to stop uh, another state from legalizing something else entirely? I mean, we're, we're, you know... Are you seriously doing the what happens if we legalize gay marriage argument with me right no, now? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm just t- taking anything. There's What's the amendment for the state uh, state amendments? You know, like the, you know, like... Are you saying if we allow, if we legalize weed, then we might legalize heroin? Anything. That's... But you I'm see... Not, I'm not saying that. But what I'm, you're I'm lacking just, in that I'm, argument is the science behind the fact of... Cannabis is not dangerous. No, no, no. Th- right, no, but I, heroin I think, I, is no, dangerous. No, no, I think you're misconstruing. What, what I'm trying to say is, what's to stop a state saying, all right, 
we want uh, let's take a real basic thing okay we want to make uh, our roads uh speed limit 100 miles per hour oh sweet you know and but you know what the federal government says the maximum speed limit is allowed is 70 miles per hour right but we decide as a state and our citizens we believe we, wanna, we can right. do 100 okay well, uh, oh, see that. Oh, see, this is a states' rights argument. Is what you're. That's what to. I'm trying to get to. Well, and it, and see if if the if they step in, that's it will it will turn into one of the biggest states' rights fights. And, that, and that's and that's that's what I'm trying to get to here. I think you get people to then get back to the Constitution, and uh, they would say, "Well, I mean, maybe we don't well, have to go that far back. Just look at uh, again. We've talked about this before, but alcohol legalization was a state level thing. It started in Colorado, and it spread right. out from there. So yeah, yeah. you know, uh, sometimes." Uh, I sometimes I feel like uh, one of the beauties of the way our system works is that we allow for certain experiments to be carried out at the state level, and we can trial and error things there. And then if they work well, and, we can apply it and nationally. That, and that's and that's where what I'm hoping for will happen with this administration and yeah. this federal government that they're going to say, "All right, we're gonna we're gonna hands off here. We want to see." We're going to basically set up Washington, Colorado, and see what happens to them if they are successful with this. This is our. This is our guinea pig. This is our our test bed. The other thing that the other the only, so I put it down in here. I said feds block weed. If they do it, they need to do it by late summer. They have to because otherwise, by the time November and December roll around, the shops open up. Right, and here's the backup plan for the state of Washington. I know they haven't unveiled the backup plan, but if the state of Washington can't sell it and capitalize it, they're just going to make it legal in state borders. I, I mean, basically, they have right. So. There's going to be a pot tourism industry around it. Oh, Idaho yeah. and, and Oregon will be coming here all the time buying our pot. Oh, yeah. So do the feds make a move? What do you say? Final verdict? I don't want them to. Yeah, but I, you think they will? I think they have to. Feds make a move by late summer. Wait a minute. No, 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 no. no, no. I, I, you know what? Hmm. I, I'm going to take the side. You say they're going to block. I say they're going to use Washington and Colorado as as a test. Board. I hope you're right. I think I'll they're going to- put me on this one then. Yeah, put you on that one. Okay. I hope you're right because that would be the appropriate thing to do, and it'd be a little interesting experiment. And yep. we'd be—I'd be curious to see what happens to our economy. Uh, so, th- some interesting statistics recently came out that have shown that where medical marijuana has picked up, uh, suicide rates have dropped. Now, at the high, at the in the older age range, not so high, like five percent. Right. Uh, but in the thirty-year-old range uh, of males, um, there's been you know twenty, thirty percent reductions in suicide rates when. There's medical marijuana I just, in that area. I just want to know what companies in the state of Washington, what their official opinions are about this. You know, like say Amazon, a great example. Microsoft, great example. Amazon Prime. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Chase. Yes, uh, sir. You know, one of the things we should do is read an email. And uh, this one's real appropriate. It takes uh, a little poke and fun at the uh, mainstream media. That's right. I'm going to wait for my intro music to finish. So uh, Zane emailed this in. And yes. he came up with... Uh, a little special infograph. That's for us. right. So here in the Situation Room, we take your emails and your questions. You can send them to us at uh, Unfilter Show at Jupiter Broadcasting. Unfilter. 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 At Jupiter Broadcasting. You're Brian Or uh, Skype us Unfilter Show. Uh, this very short email. In answer, this came from Zane. In answer to your request in the last episode for there to be a game for watching the news, here you go. And so I'm gonna, I'll show this off to everybody here. This is the Unfilter. 
Bingo, bingo card. So this looks like a bingo board here. I love this. This is great. This is really awesome. So they've got squares for like whenever the media mentions China or you know you go in the Situation Room. Yes. Where they take a shot at pot. Where you got boots on the ground or Iran's mentioned or drones or terrorism. Oh, this is really this, this is this is this is great. So you get the free terror. Oh, look, they got an ass. He put an ass. Zane put an ass chat room square. That's on right. There. Yeah. Think of the children. You uh, know what? Hack attack. You got a hack attack square. I don't. I don't. I don't see a grain. Grains my gears. Oh well, but this, but the news media doesn't say that. This is like stuff that the news media does. Yeah. This well, is, we got video games in there. So well, when they hate on video games, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I think people need to go to the show notes and uh, find Zane's email and uh, grab this uh, unfiltered bingo card and play Absolute, along at home. Absolutely. I'm going to put it in the chat room right now. So if you're watching live, grab a copy of it because that. <sighs> In the Situation Room. Thanks, Zane. That's really cool. You can email us, unfilter at jupiterbroadcasting.com. But of course... We want to hear your feedback. Of course, you can call us, 1-425-312-1756. Leave us your thoughts, comments, maybe something we got wrong, or an idea for a future show. We want all of it. All of it. you can think of. Everything. Skype us, unfilter show, all one word. But again, the phone works the best, 1-425-312-1756. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon, Chase. All yes. right. Well, I want to let people know about the Unfilter subreddit. What do you say? I think that's a great idea. Now, the Unfilter subreddit, which can be found at unfilter.reddit.com, is a great place where you can find stories that maybe didn't quite make it to the standard or give of, us more. Or of the big show. However, this is where you don't necessarily have to you know, post a link. You can upvote if you All think right. it's good. You could downvote if you think it sucks. You know, and I want to give a special, you know, if you're listening right now and you're like, man, I wish I had more show. Yeah. You could find more there. Yeah. Also, you could become an Unfiltered supporter. You're going to get a big pre and post show. One of the things, if you're an Unfiltered supporter, check your inbox. Make sure you get the email because we have a we have leaked tapes that revealed that LBJ knew but never spoke about Nixon. Oh, Extending, incredible. Extending the Vietnam War. Incredible. In order to win the election. And we played that clip in today's supporter show. Yes. Uh, Chase, what if people wanted to find you on the tweeters? Well, if people want to find me on the tweeters, uh, they can follow me at Nunes, N-U-N-E-S. Last night I tweeted that I was playing some SimCity. You've been doing a little live stream. Oh, man. SimCity's becoming more addictive to me, even though I detest what the hell EA is doing. Whoa, whoa, brother. Whoa, whoa. Sorry. Whoa. sorry. sorry. That's don't, a, don't get us all worked up at the end. We're being chill now. I, I know. That's another show. Anyway, <laughs> and uh, also, by the way, you guys could follow what I'm doing at GeekGamer.tv. Boom. Uh, where we talk about geeky and gaming stuff. Nice. Uh, we have great guests that come on the show from time to time, yourself included. Thank you, sir. And where can people follow you on the Twitters? Why not go over to twitter.com slash Chris Elias? It's a great way to get something in front of me real quick because it's easier for me to process that than it is email. And instant interaction with yes, fans yes, back and forth at yes. replies, direct messages if you're following them. We have links to our G Plus profiles as well. Ooh, G Plus. Now, don't forget, we need people to join us live. If you uh, can't become an unfiltered supporter but you yeah. still want to get all the clips, join us live. Oh, JBLive.tv every Wednesday, 6.30 yes. p.m. Pacific. But show up even a little earlier. Get more oh, stuff. You guys. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Unfiltered. We'll see you right back here next, next week. week.